1957, in the month of October, the International Associations of Chiefs of Police adopted the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics at their 64th annual conference and exposition. Now, the Code of Ethics was a preface to the mission and commitment of law enforcement agencies to make to the public that they serve. And the first paragraph of the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics goes as followed. As law enforcement officer, my fundamental duty is to serve the community, to safeguard lives and property, to protect the innocent against deception, the weak against oppression or intimidation, and the peaceful against violence or disorder, and to respect the constitutional rights of all to liberty, quality, and justice. Now, attribution theory, well, this is defined by Fisk and Taylor. And attribution theory deals with how the social perceiver uses information to arrive at a casual explanation for events. Now it examines what information is gathered and how it is combined to form a casual judgment. Furthermore, it's concerned with how ordinary people explain the causes of behavior and events. For example, if someone is angry, are they angry because they are bad-tempered or they are angry because something bad happened? Now, a story about attribution theory goes a little bit like this. Let's say you are late for work. Now, if your coworker is late for work, somebody may be tempted to say that coworker is late because they may be lazy. But if we are late for work, we may say, I had to take care of my family. I had to drop my child off at school. Thus, I was late for work. Now, it is known scientifically that when we apply attribution theory to ourselves, we give a situational explanation. But data shows that when we use attribution theory in terms of others, we assign a character definition to it. And sometimes that character definition can be explained with the logical fallacy ad hominem. Now, the ad hominem is a short term for argumentation, and it refers to several types of arguments. Most of this are fallacious. So it's a strategy when you're arguing where the speaker simply attacks the character, the motive, or some other attribute of the person making an argument rather than attacking the substance of the argument itself. Now, this avoids debate because it creates a diversion to something that's irrelevant, but often highly charged. The most common form of this fallacy makes a claim that it asserts something, and then it goes back and tries to say that the whole entire argument is wrong simply because you have a character flaw. Now, in terms of justice, it shows up this way. If you were to disagree with somebody's view of justice, somebody might say you are a person who hates the law. But that's not necessarily true. That is an ad hominem attack.
Now, the concept of justice argued for some people began around the 6th century in Athens and an MD named Walter Borden attributed it to a philosopher named Salone. Now, Salone, but Borden argued, laid the foundation for a democratic system of justice through a series of events inside of their constitutions, and it is attributed to giving birth to democracy. Now, Salone put changes and established a legal code that brokered nonviolent social revolution and transformed the passion for vengeance into a justice system. And the justice system, rather than being on the idea of vengeance for when somebody did something wrong, it was based on one of rule and equality before the law. And it distributed power through the law and resolution of conflict through a public court system with juries and peers in a process before a presiding judge. Now, Salone said that you need to take religion out of this administration of justice. And Salone is attributed with taking private revenge and turning it into public justice. And what they said is that by harnessing this wild justice of revenge, it made it a central part of democracy. So he began to say things like, manslaughter is different than intentional homicide and intent and motive became more important under Salome. So instead of looking at something like absolute liability, the law looked to specific factors and punishment was proportional to the crime that you did. And preventing violence and maintaining public order were the purposes of the law. So what is the purpose of our law, law and order? Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. Today, we're going to be looking at the song Panama by Van Halen and talking about the concept of law and order. Well, Panama is a song by Van Halen. It was the third single released on their album, 1984. And originally, the song was, some people believe that it was written about a car. Now, David Lee Roth told Howard Stern in an interview, he talked about the meaning of the song. He does say that it does refer a little bit to a car that they saw in Las Vegas. But also what David Lee Roth said is he wrote the song about the car because a reporter told him that the only thing you ever sing about were women partying in fast cars. And David Lee Roth realized at the time that he had never written a song about a car. So he decided to write one about a car. So in the bridge of the song, where you can hear David Lee Roth saying, I can barely see the road from the heat coming on. You hear guitarist Eddie Van Halen can be heard revving his 1972 Lamborghini in the background. Now, his car was backed up to the studio and the microphones were attached to the exhaust pipe to record the sound 
of the song. And the car shown in the music video is a customized 1951 Mercury convertible. And Chuck Klosterman of Vulture said that this was the fourth best Van Halen song of all time. Now, we also know that Panama is a country in Central America, and it's famous for its canal. But that has nothing to do with the song at all. Now, what also David Lee Roth was talking about is that there was a stripper that he had met in Arizona. And he continually said that, you know, again, fast cars and sex and drugs. But he said, you know what? I've never written about fast cars. So he wrote that song about a car. And then he also wrote about a woman of the evening. But then he finished the lyrics and he said, well, I'll just put both of them into this song. So the lyrics that I want to look at that goes into our theme, when we look at this idea, it says, jump back, what's that sound? Here she comes, full blast and top down, hot shoe burning down the avenue, model citizen, zero discipline. Don't you know that she's coming home with me? You'll lose her in the turn. I'll get her. Panama, Panama, Panama. So we have model citizen, but zero discipline. And we think about that phrase right now, model citizen. I want to look at that model citizen, zero discipline. So when I go to this concept of law and order, so in the 17th century, law and order goes back to John Locke. He spoke about it. Malcolm Freely, a professor of law at the University of California, Berkeley, quotes that law and order is a phrase that's a bit like motherhood and apple pie. It's been around forever. So we have this idea of zero discipline model citizen. So model citizen of law and order, zero discipline of law and order. So the zero discipline. So in America, the term law and order was used by Southerners to oppose abolitionists prior to the Civil War. And by the NAACP and its supporters, to oppose racist violence in the early 20th century was used by supporters of prohibition and by a number of small law and order political parties over time. The phrase itself has spinoffs, says a man named Dr. Freely, like tough on crime. But law and order also has certain connotations and flexibility that's made it a bit durable over time. So we have, in one sense, model citizenry. We want to oppose racist violence by the NAAC. But we have the zero discipline aspect of the model citizen, but defending racism. Now, in the 60s, the term law and order was picked up by Barry Goldwater. And voters at the time were getting anxious about societal changes. They were worried that the stability and the decency and security was going away. They didn't necessarily like to see hippies, feminists, people arguing for racial equality, gay rights, or counterculture. This was said by Michael Flamma, professor of history at Ohio Wesleyan and author of Law and Order, Street Crime, Civil Unrest, and the Crisis of Liberalism in the 60s. So Dr. Flam said the concept of law and order was an emotional appeal 
a way of rallying supporters against an assortment of causes or concern. And when Barry Water, Goldwater ran for president in 1964, Keith Gattle, who is the chair of political science at the University of Oklahoma, said Senator Goldwater's law and order rhetoric sounded similar and familiar to Southerners used to repress black codes, Jim Crow laws. And Dr. Gaddy goes on to say that a lot of the rhetoric that Goldwater would use wasn't invested in racism, but it was picked up loud and clear by a conservative Southern white ear who tended to be racist. Now, Dr. Gaddy said when people would say law and order, that some people interpreted it as, I'll keep black people in line. Model citizen, zero discipline. So in 1968, George Wallace had a huge impact on the presidential race. Running as a third party candidate, he won several Southern states while mostly using overtly racist rhetoric. And Richard Nixon had to be a balance between Mr. Wallace's appeals of race and Hubert Humphrey's was more liberal. He won the Southern states and the election by targeting what they called the polite racist voter. The sort of people who don't like lynching and they don't like overall prejudice, but they also don't want changes to the status quo. Angie Maxwell said this. She was the director of the Diane Blair Center of Southern Politics and Society at the University of Arkansas. And in this era, openly racist appeals, such as those used by George Wallace, were no longer defensible. People couldn't defend that. So coded language at the time became the norm. The model citizen, but zero discipline. Frederick Douglass spoke to the origins of this in the 1800s. In his speech, The Lessons of the Hour, January 9th, 1894. Frederick Douglass was talking about this concept of law and order, the concept of African-Americans who were being lynched by mobs, mobs that were not adhering to any form of justice, but were just simply grabbing African-Americans on the suspicion of committing crimes. And Douglas says this in his speech, the great trouble with the Negro in the South is that old presumptions are against him. A white man has to butt black in his face and commit a crime to have some Negro lynched instead. An abandoned woman has only to start the cry that she has been insulted by a black man to have him arrested and summarily murdered by the mob, frightened and tortured by his captors confused into telling crooked stories about his whereabouts at the time when alleged crime was committed and the death penalty is at once inflicted, though his story may be but the incoherency of ignorance or distraction caused by terror. Now, in the confirmation of what I have said of the better class of the South, I have before me the utterances of some of the best people of that section and also the testimony of one in the North. So Frederick Douglass brought up the fact 
that people were just grabbed, lynched, killed, and tortured based upon accusations. Now, Frederick Douglass was called out for this. The governor of South Carolina published, ex-governor of South Carolina, published an article in the Charleston News and Courier. And he said, your denunciation of the South on this point is directly, exclusively, or nearly so against the application of lynch law for the punishment of one crime or one sort of crime. The existence, I suppose, I might say the prevalence of this crime at the South is undeniable. But I read your article in vain for any special denunciation of the crime itself. As you say, your people are lynched, tortured, and burned for the assault on white women. As you value your own good fame and safety as a race, stamp out the infamous crime. He further says, the way to stop lynching is to stop, stamp out the crime. So here we have both the ad hominem attack and the false dichotomy at play. The governor says there is lynching going on. But you know what? If you want to get rid of the lynching, just get rid of the crime. But as you see, we have departed from the idea of justice. The idea of justice is nowhere to be found in this argument being made in 1894 by the governor of South Carolina. But Douglas responds to the governor. And here is Douglas's response. But I want to be understood at the outset. I do not pretend that Negroes are saints or angels. I do not deny that they are capable of committing the crime imputed to them, but I utterly deny that they are any more addicted to the commission of that crime than is true of any other variety of the human family entering into my argument. I may be allowed to say that I appear here this evening not as a defender of any man guilty of this atrocious crime, but as the defender of the colored people as a class. In answer to the terrible indictment thus read and speaking for the colored people as a class, in their stead, here and now, plead not guilty and shall subject, submit my case with confidence of acquittal by any good men and women north and south. It is the misfortune of the colored people in this country that the sins of a few are visited upon the many. And I am here to speak for the many whose reputation is put in peril by the sweeping charges in question. So what Frederick Douglass is saying here is that, well, wait a minute. We're not talking about people who committed crimes simply stopping. We're talking about the idea of justice, the idea that if a person is charged with a crime, they need to be arrested. They need to be tried before a jury of their peers, which is Salon said back in the 6th century in Athens. So the idea that justice is not kill you in the street. Justice is not putting your neck on somebody's head for throat for eight minutes. That is not justice. There may have been a crime committed, but the idea of justice is that 
commit a crime, there will be consequences for it, but it has to be proportional to the crime that was committed. There also is this idea that if you committed a crime, you just deserve to die. But that's not justice. No one is asking for anybody to be let off for committing a crime. But we're simply asking for justice. You see, you're supposed to be the model citizen, but there has to be discipline. You can't have zero discipline. So law and order is needed, but it also means that compassion, service, reconciliation, redemption, and contribution to make our society safer and better for all of us to achieve. You see, MLK said that the arc of the universe bends towards justice. And if it bends towards justice, and when it goes away from justice, we need to remind everyone of the commitment they have made. And then when we bend the arc back towards justice, we can't fall for zero discipline can engage in the ad hominem attack or the attribution error. Now let's remember going back to the 1950s at the law enforcement code of ethics, what was said as a law enforcement officer, my fundamental duty is to serve the community, to safeguard lives and property, to protect the innocent against deception, the weak against oppression or intimidation, and the peaceful against violence or disorder, and to respect the constitutional rights of all to liberty, equality, and justice. You see, the arc of law enforcement is not grounded in the slave catcher codes during reconstruction. It arose out of that, but there was an attempt to bend that arc back. And here we see it. And this is the commitment that we hold ourselves to and others too. So when we think about the concept of law and order, we want to realize that we all want to strive for ideals and goals and objectives of advancing ourselves and our collective communities. And we realize that there are those who do not want that to happen. The presence of evil, the presence of people who want to do evil. So there will always be people out there who will want to do harmful things, but those people must be opposed and stopped by someone. But those 
who have been given that charge have been entrusted with it. We only hope that they will be just in the enforcement of it. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience. I believe that we all have been gifted with talent, skills, and ability to make a contribution in the service of others. We may be aware or unaware, regardless of who you are. If you are up or if you are down or if you are somewhere in the middle, this is true. So start today. Find your path. Run your race. Create. Be generous. Thank you so much. I will see you next week with another episode of the Stephen Thompson Experience. We're going to be looking at the Van Halen song right now. Take care. Have a great one.